Good morning, Harvest. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, yeah, that was a long time ago that Eugene and I first met. Uh, how long ago was it? Uh, we both had hair. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Uh, since then, a lot has changed. Uh, less hair, uh, hopefully more wisdom, and a little bit more age. Uh, it's so good for me to be here. Can we just do this real quick? Uh, can you just turn to the person next to you and just thank them for being here? Can you just do that real quick? Uh, it is uh, such a blessing for me to be here. The last time I was asked to come here, uh, I was just so encouraged, so blessed uh, by this congregation, by this church. I felt so welcomed. Uh, I love worshiping with all of you. And so when Pastor DL uh, called me again and asked me to come, I, I was like, absolutely. I'd love to be here. Uh, I love being here. I love being a part of this congregation. More importantly, I just love worshiping with all of you. Uh, I encourage you to please uh, pray for Pastor DL, uh, Olivia, and the children uh, as they're serving faithfully in Virginia. Uh, all morning this morning, uh, my phone has been blowing up because uh, before I came here, uh, I begged my congregation to pray for me. I said, I'm going to Orlando to speak. You have to pray for me. And I've been getting encouraging messages about people who are praying for me. And it is such an encouragement uh, that your pastor knows that you are praying for him as he faithfully serves God's kingdom. So please continue to pray for him. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to John 20. Uh, we're going to look at verses 24 through 31. John 20, uh, 24 through 31. This passage is about Jesus and Thomas. After the resurrection of Christ uh, from death, uh, Jesus meets the disciples, uh, and then meets with Thomas. Uh, and if you're into uh, titles, today's passage or message is titled, Seeing Jesus in Our Failures. Seeing Jesus in Our Failures. Let's read from John 20, 24 through 31. This is God's word. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray again one more time as we depend on the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you here uh, this morning. God, we are uh, blessed, blessed to be here worshiping together. But as we are reminded, as we were worshiping here, 
this morning as we are singing those songs of praise. That God, your presence is here. That the reason why we gather together in worship is because, God, you are here with us. The reason we are here is to see your face and to see your glory. And so we pray, Lord Father, that here this morning, that you would make your presence absolutely known. That each and every one of us, oh Father, would see you. And because of our, uh, because of your presence, because we see you, our lives will be changed. Bless us through your word here this morning. May we be faithful followers of Christ. We thank you and love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Thomas, as many of us know, kind of have, he has kind of this bad rep, right? He has this nickname. Now, as many of you guys know, nicknames are never, you never give yourself a nickname. I kind of wish I could. Right? I could give myself a nickname. Growing up, I had several nicknames. Um, but here, Thomas is given this nickname. Right? And all of us know what this nickname is. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I feel uh, kind of bad that this is his nickname. Doubting Thomas. And as we look at this passage, I think one of the things that we begin to realize, and I think that one of the things that we need to draw from this passage, is what do we do in our failures? What do we do when we fail? Because here, we see here that Thomas fails. So we're going to look at this here this morning. So we're going to look at Thomas's failure first, and then after that, we're going to see how to see Jesus in our failures. Okay? So let's look at Thomas's failure here. I think Thomas's failure starts in verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now this verse seems like such an unassuming verse. It almost seems like a backstory verse. John is trying to tell a story here and trying to uh, let you know of what happened when they first saw Jesus after his resurrection. And just so you know, the disciples were there, but Thomas wasn't. And it's so easy to try to skim over this verse and just kind of not think much of it. But as we study this verse, I believe this is where we see Thomas's failure. This is where we can learn about Thomas and his failure and how we ourselves can be faithful. And I think this failure is simply put this way. Thomas failed to stay connected. Thomas failed to stay connected. Verse 24, he was not with them when Jesus came. I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Where was Thomas? Like, where was he? Why wasn't he with them? Now, we don't know why because it doesn't say in Scripture. It doesn't tell us where he was or what he was up to. Here's what we do know. First, Thomas wasn't with them. Okay, obviously. Secondly, the rest of the disciples were together. Now, we have to kind of understand what was going on here. Right? Jesus resurrected, shows up to Mary. Word is spreading. The disciples hear about this and they gather together, right? So the disciples are together, but Thomas, for whatever reason, wasn't with them. Now, again, we don't know why, but I'm pretty sure that the disciples, you know, they didn't leave Thomas out. Thomas knew about it. Thomas knew that the disciples were getting together, but for whatever reason, Thomas decides that he wasn't going to be with them. And I believe this is his first failure. 
The lesson we can learn from this is simply this. You and I, we need to stay connected with the body. We need to stay connected with one another. We need to, especially in the midst of our failures, our doubts, we need to find other Christians, other faithful followers of Jesus Christ and stay connected with them. Why? Because as people, all of us are greatly influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. Uh, I am a parent of three children. Uh, my oldest, Ethan, is eight years old. Something happened between seven and eight, okay? Uh, up until he was seven years old, the only time he would hang out with his friends was when, when his parents would set up a play date, right? We'd take them there, we'd be with them, and the parents would be there, and they'd hang out. All of a sudden, I don't know what happened, at the age of eight, he just kind of goes off on his own, okay? Like, we, he comes home from school, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the doorbell rings, right? Ding, 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 like crazy. His friends are waiting outside the door. Can, can Ethan come out and play? And then he goes out, and he plays with them. And my wife and I, we sit down, and often we have this conversation. Are these good friends? Because we realize this, that the people that Ethan surrounds himself with is going to have an influence on him. All of a sudden, one day, he wanted to play basketball. Never talked about basketball before. I'm not a good basketball player. And so, we, you know, I never really played basketball with a volleyball. I do it all the time with him, right? But all of a sudden, one day, he wanted to play basketball. Why? Because his friends like basketball. He wanted to start playing video games, right? Call of Duty. Like, we hid all this stuff from him. I, I play it, but I don't let him play, right? Like, but he wanted to play Call of Duty, I was a little bit excited about that. We got to go and play with him. But, but where did this come from? Because he went to his friend's house and his friend had an Xbox and they played Call of Duty together. See, this is true not just for an 8-year-old. Every single one of us are influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. So when we're in our doubt, when we're in our failures, the first thing we need to do is we need to stay connected with fellow believers. We need to stay connected with people who love the Lord. Thomas failed to do that. Not only do we need to stay connected with people who love the Lord, but I also believe we need to stay connected with the church body. We need to go to church. You know, often I hear this, uh, especially in college ministry, you get this a lot. You know, they're going through some hard times and some struggles. And, and the last place they want to be is at church when they fail. Maybe you felt that way. I know I felt that way. When I fail, the last place I want to be is at church. Can I say this? The place you need to be the most in your failure is to be at church. Why? Why? Because you and I, we need Jesus. And church is such a wonderful place for us to see Jesus. We need to stay connected with the body. It should be a, it should be a warning sign when we go through failure and we don't want to be around other Christians. That should be an immediate warning sign that that's the exact thing you and I, we must do. Alexander McLaren says this. Thomas did the very worst thing that a melancholy man can do. He went away to brood in a corner by himself and so to exaggerate all his idiosyncrasies 
to distort the proportion of the truth and hug his despair by separating himself from his fellows. Therefore, he lost what they got, the sight of the Lord. In our failures, we need to see Jesus. And one of the best ways to see Jesus is to be near other worshipers. You see, Thomas says this, essentially, in this passage, as we look at verse 25, right? As they say, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I see, unless I see. See, he didn't see Jesus. And so he's saying, unless I see, I will not believe. Unless I see, I won't believe. You see, Thomas's failure wasn't doubt. Thomas's failure was not doubt. Thomas's failure was that he did not see Jesus. Let me say that again. Thomas's failure was not doubt. His failure was not seeing Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can I just say this real quick? I will not stand in front of you and say, do not doubt. Don't question your faith. Don't doubt. Doubting isn't the failure. The failure is when you doubt, when you have questions about your faith, when you have questions even about God, the failure is not putting yourself in a place to see Jesus. The failure is not finding the answer to the doubt or the questions. It's like if I had like my, you know, one of my kids, they always ask me questions. And I want to make it seem like I'm like that all-knowing dad, you know. Like I know everything. I want to be their hero. But so many times they ask me, especially Ethan now, he asked me some crazy questions that I have no idea what he's talking about. Right? And it would be like me like, like wondering, what's the answer to this question? And instead of going to my friend Google, right, which I go to often, I try to sneak it in, right, so he doesn't see me. I'm like, type it in. Oh, the answer is this, Ethan. I try to tell him the answer, make it seem like I'm a smart dad. But it would be like having these questions and not seeking out the answer in Google. It would be the same thing as you and I having doubt and not seeking the face of Jesus. Thomas's failure wasn't doubt. His failure was that he didn't see Jesus. So then how do we see Jesus in our failures? I think there are three things as we look at this passage. What, is, what happens when we see Jesus in our failures? What does God do in our failures? Right? What does God do? The first thing is this. In our failures, Jesus speaks to us. In our failures, Jesus speaks to us. Look at verse 26. It says, eight days later, this is after Jesus appeared to the disciples minus Thomas, and Thomas gives this crazy ultimatum, unless I see, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. <laughs> it's like, I have this wild imagination, right? I think I watch too many movies, right? I have this imagination like Jesus just pops out of nowhere, maybe like a puff of smoke, right? Trumpet sound, and Jesus just appears before the disciples. And he looks at the disciples, and he speaks to them, and these are his words. 
Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I believe these words were for the disciples altogether, but I think he was also specifically speaking to Thomas. Peace be with you. I think we can learn a lot about Jesus when we look at his words. First, we have to understand that Thomas pretty much made an ultimatum with God, right? He said, unless I see Jesus, I won't believe. Unless I see him, I am not going to believe. He's basically saying this, Jesus better come to me. Can you imagine that? He's saying, if you don't come to me, then I won't believe. Now, this is in stark contrast to what he said before Jesus died on the cross. Okay, Real quick with me, put your finger here. Turn with me to Matthew 26, 30 through 46. Matthew 26, uh, 30 through 46. This is right before Jesus is uh, led uh, to his crucifixion. Uh, It says that they were at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. He says, you're all going to fall away from me because of this night. Because of his crucifixion. He says, after I'm raised up from uh, from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter speaks up. I love Peter. I love him. Because he does and he says some things that you're like, dude, really? Right? So he, he stands up. And you got to understand what's happening here. All the disciples are together. Jesus is there. He says, you guys are going to, you know, uh, fall away. You're going to deny me, right, Uh, because of this night. And Peter stands up, and look what he says. Though they fall away, who's they? The other disciples, right? Though they all fall away, I will never fall away. Right? It's It's like me standing up and being like, even if you guys all, right, deny Christ, I won't. Right? The nerve of this guy. Right? Can you imagine? And then later he says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And look at verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then look what it says after that. And all the disciples said the same. Every single disciple said, even if I must die, Even if I must lay down my life, even if my life is taken from me because of my following of you, my faithfulness to you, I will never, ever deny you. You see, Thomas was one of them. Back then, before the crucifixion of Christ, he said, even if, no matter what, I will follow you. At this moment, he says, unless I see I won't believe. The passage here in Matthew 26 goes on, and they go into uh, a prayer, and, and, and Jesus takes uh, Peter, John, and James, and they go off to pray. And, and, and we know this prayer very well. He says, if this cup can be taken from me, take it from me, but your will be done, right? Jesus is troubled. And then he goes back to those three disciples, and what are they like sleeping, right? So he wakes them up. He's like, Wake up, you have to pray. And I want you to look at what he says to the disciples when he wakes them up. He says this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Now we know that Jesus prays this prayer because we know the implications of the crucifixion and how much this troubled the Lord and it should have troubled Jesus. Not only because of the physical pain, but even as Eugene was saying, in the moment when the sins of the world were placed on Jesus Christ, at that moment, for the first time and last time in all of eternity, Jesus Christ was separated from the triune God. And the pain of the separation bore a hole. In the heart of Jesus. And yes, so that prayer is about that. But I think there's another aspect of that prayer we cannot deny as we look at this passage together. I believe Jesus was also broken with the idea that his disciples would fall away. I think he was so moved by their even if statement that his prayer that that cup be taken from him was not only for himself but also for his disciples. Because when he goes back to them he says watch and pray. Not He doesn't say pray for me. Notice that? Get up. Why are you sleeping? You should be praying for me. Do you not know the hardships I would face? And he would be right in asking them to pray for him. But what does he say? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. His heart was moved by the disciples. But yet... Thomas here says, unless I see, I will not believe. And then when Jesus comes to Thomas and disciples, he says the words, peace be with you. I don't know about you, but I don't think those would be the words that escape my mouth. If a friend of mine gave me an ultimatum, unless you do this, Peter, I will not be your friend. Okay? I don't know if I would go to that friend and be like, peace be with you. <laughs> I would say something entirely different that I won't repeat here. I won't say here at the pulpit. But I'd probably be upset. Right? In fact, uh, this Christmas, a friend of mine bought my son a, a, this ridiculous gift. Right? Ethan's eight years old. He bought one of these, like, I think they're called Papa Shot. But they're like these little mini basketball arcade game. Right? They have two hoops, and you shoot these baskets, and you start the timer, and it counts the points for you, right? And so my son and I were, like, playing all the time, right? We're scoring, like, 50, 60 points each game. And then at one point, I looked at my son, and I said, I think I could score 100. And he's like, what? And he starts laughing at me. He's like, no way. You can't score 100 on that machine. There's no way. And so I was like, watch me. Right? He, he doubted me. So I turned the machine on, and... I'm like shooting with both hands, right? I'm like trying to make as many, but I was on fire, right? With like 10 seconds left, I'm in the 90, right? I hit 90. So bam, I'm hitting these shots. The funny thing is there's only two digits on this machine. I broke the machine, right? It got to 99 and stuck. It stuck at 99. I was hitting these baskets. The buzzer goes off, and I look at Ethan. I go, how do you doubt me? I was like rubbing in his face. Look at that. See that? Daddy did it. I wanted to, like, take a picture of it so I could keep showing it to him, right? When he doubts me, I'm not going to be, like, you know, like, saying loving words. I'm going to try to prove him wrong. But here, this is not God's heart. God comes to Thomas, and he says, peace be with you. Jesus speaks to us. Well, there's one more thing I want to look at about the way Jesus speaks to us. In verse 25, it says, Thomas doubts. 
We see something else that should catch our eyes. It says this in verse 25. Look at this with me. It says, eight days later. Now think about this. Jesus appears to disciples, right? Disciples are like besides themselves. They're excited. They go back to Thomas. They're like, hey, Thomas, we just saw Jesus. Where were you? Thomas says, no, unless I see, unless I touch his wounds, I won't believe. And then eight days pass before Jesus appears again to Thomas. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Why would Jesus wait eight days? Why would he wait eight days? If someone so close to him, one of his closest followers, had this doubt, had this question, why would Jesus wait eight days before appearing? Now, it's not because Jesus was too busy, had other things to do. There's actually no account of what Jesus does in those eight days. Nothing. The Bible tells us nothing. So why does he wait eight days? Let me put it this way, okay? Um, I think uh, one of my uh, children, Eliana, my second, she uh, said this one time. um, I don't know if daddy really loves me. I don't know if she said it that way, but it was something along those lines. I don't know if daddy loves me. Does daddy really love me? Now, it would be the same thing as if she said that, and I'm like, ah, I'll take care of that next week. Right? No, it's, it doesn't make sense, right? Because someone who I love that much, care for that much, what would I do? Immediately, I would squash that blasphemous talk, right? I would squash it immediately. I'd go to her, and I would express to her my love immediately. Why? Because I love her so much. I don't think we can question the love of Jesus for his disciples, especially the love of Jesus for Thomas. Then why would he wait eight days? We don't know why he waited eight days. It doesn't say in Scripture. But I believe that Jesus waited eight days because it was what was best for Thomas. Now, I don't know. Maybe Thomas needed that time to think through his doubt. Maybe Thomas needed that time to be able to rejoin the disciples and to be with them and to be connected with the body. But for whatever reason, in God's sovereign nature, he knew it was what was best for Thomas, so he waited eight days. Brothers and sisters, when God doesn't speak, it's not because he's too busy. It's not because he doesn't care. It's only because it is what's best for us. In our failure, Jesus speaks to us. Secondly, in our failures, Jesus wants us to believe. He wants us to believe. Jesus tells Thomas to do exactly what he said he must do to believe. Can you imagine that? Thomas said, unless I touch And the scripture says specifically, unless I put my finger in his wounds, I will not believe. And yet when Jesus appears before the disciples and before Thomas, what does he say? He says, go ahead, Thomas. Touch the wounds. Go ahead. See the wounds. See, the thing that we need to realize here is that Thomas didn't have to touch the wounds. 
Right? Thomas is in this like locked room, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He's right there before him, and he sees the Messiah. He sees Jesus right there in plain sight, and he believes at that moment. Yet Jesus goes to him and says, go ahead, touch the wounds. Now, this is not like Jesus kind of like rubbing it in, right? Not like me taking a picture of that score on that Papa shot thing and be like, look, see, daddy's the best, right? He's not rubbing it in. He's not saying it so that he can like, you know, like, like how could you doubt, Thomas? What's wrong with you? Look, touch it. If you want, touch it. Go ahead. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is offering to Thomas what he needed in order to believe. What we can learn from this is simply this. Jesus will go to all lengths, any lengths, that his children would believe in him. God would go to all lengths to strengthen our faith. In verse 27, it says this. These are Christ's words to Thomas. He said, do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I believe this is in direct response to unless I see, unless I touch, I won't believe. Jesus will go to all and any lengths to make us believe. Finally, in our failures, Jesus seeks to restore us. In our failures, Jesus seeks to restore us. For this, we need to look at Thomas's response to see what Jesus uh, to see what Jesus does. Look at Thomas's response to what Jesus does in verse twenty-eight. Thomas answered him after Jesus appears, and we don't know if Thomas actually touches the scars or the wounds or the open wounds that Jesus has on his body. We don't know that. A lot of famous paintings depict Thomas touching Jesus. We don't know that. Scripture doesn't say whether or not he did. Okay? All we know is this. After Jesus appears, after he says, peace be with you, after he tells him to go ahead, look at his wounds, examine them so that you would believe, believe, don't, don't disbelieve, but believe, Thomas answers him by saying this, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Here Thomas is declaring his love and devotion to Jesus. Now these two words in Greek, my Lord is kulios, and then my God is theos. Kulios and theos. Now these words are similar in that they both are, are words that are, are, are saved for deity talks about God. It's words that describe God himself. But there is a distinction between these two words that I believe we need to understand in order to understand the fullness of what Thomas is saying here as Jesus restores him. Kulios, kulias, is, it means this, God to whom I belong. Kulios is God to whom I belong. It's saying, my Lord uh, I, I believe Jesus is talking, and, and what Thomas is declaring was that it is about the relationship he has with Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, my God. Theos, it means the only true God. Right? The one and only true living God. 
So God is not only restoring Thomas's faith that he is a living God, but he's also restoring Thomas's faith that he is his God. That not only is Jesus the, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, the, the King of Kings, Prince of Peace, not only is he God, the one true living God, but that this God, this sovereign God over all things is for Thomas and never against him. He's restoring not only faith that he is the true and living God, but that this God is with Thomas. Jesus wants to restore Thomas in knowing that Jesus is not only the one and true living God, but he is for him and he is never, ever against him. In our failures, Jesus seeks to restore us. Finally, let's look at verse 28. Let's finish up here. Verse 28 has this rebuke, right? Many of us look at it and we see this rebuke that Jesus has upon Thomas after he finally sees Jesus and he believes. In verse 28, it says, Jesus says this, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I, all, I believe wholeheartedly that this was in many ways a rebuke, but I think it was so much more than just simply a rebuke to Thomas. I think in this moment, what Jesus is doing is not only is he restoring his relationship with him, the one and only true God, but as well, he's restoring Thomas's purpose. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What he's saying to Thomas is this. There are others out there who have not seen me. There are others out there who need to know about my love for them, my sacrifice for them. There are people, sheep, not a part of this sheepfold that you need to bring in. You need to take this message to those. And blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Jesus is restoring his purpose. Historians say Thomas went from here and took the gospel outside of the Roman Empire as far as to India. In fact, in India, Thomas is known as the patron, patron saint of India. Spread the gospel. There in India, as he was planting one of his many churches in India, he was speared, martyred, and killed for the gospel. Jesus desires to restore his people. When you and I fail, I think we have this notion that somehow God is somewhere far away looking at us and shaking our heads in disbelief, wallowing in disappointment. So I look at this passage and how Jesus deals with the failure of Thomas. I don't see that. I see a God that in our failures does everything he can to restore you, speaks to you, reveals himself to you, strengthens you and desires to restore in you the purpose of living for the gospel. Let's pray. I want to give us just a, uh, a brief moment here this morning to pray in response to this passage.
as a fellow brother in Christ, I wish I could stand up here before you and say, if you follow Jesus, life will be easy. I wish I could say that if you follow Jesus, if you place your faith in him, you won't doubt. You won't fail. But the truth of the matter is that you and I, we're going to fail. The truth of the matter is you and I, we're going to doubt. And when we fail and when we doubt, Jesus doesn't sit idly by. He doesn't look in disappointment. God doesn't sit on his throne and wallow in disappointment as his children fail him. What we need to know is God will go to any length to restore us. He wants you to believe, be able to say and to proclaim, my Lord, my God. That God is the one and only true God. And that this one and only true God who is sovereign over all things, ruler over all nations, king of kings, that this God is for you and never against you that this God promises to never forsake you and that this God loves you so much that he laid down his life for you on the cross. Can I ask you just to pray this one prayer here this morning? God, help me to see you. Every day, Lord, things are going well in life and I'm not struggling, help me to see you, God. But in those moments when I fail, in that walk of life, when I trip up and fall to the ground, in that moment, God, help me to see you. Let's pray that prayer for just a minute. Continue our worship here this morning. Let's pray together. of our failures in the midst of our shortcomings in the midst of our sin God you don't sit idly by we thank you that you are working in us we thank you Lord Father that your presence is always there 
we thank you that it is your desire that we see you and that you long to restore us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see you. And in that moment, Lord, that we ourselves will be able to declare, my Lord, my God, strengthen and empower your people. And help us, O oh Father, to see your face every day and that our lives will be transformed because of your presence. We thank you, Lord, and praise in Jesus' name.